This is a podcast by The Straits Times. Hello and welcome to Bookmark This, a Straits Times podcast in which we talk about books in the headlines and recommend to you new reads. I'm Toen Lee and I'm here today with my co-host, Olivia Ho. Hello. As border restrictions ease up, people's thoughts have been alighting on the topic of travel. This episode will be talking about depictions of travel in books. We'll be traveling from Rebecca Solnit's wanderings in New Orleans to Sanmal's stories of the Sahara to the introspective musings of Robert McFarlane and Italo Calvino. Olivia, do you miss traveling? I do. I do so much. So I was traveling when the pandemic hit. I was actually in New Orleans where Rebecca Solno was. Um, it is one of always been one of the travel destinations on my bucket list. And when I was there, the whole place went into pandemic lockdown. And then we had to scramble to get a flight out <laughs> and come back home before we were stuck in America forever. Uh, so I haven't traveled since then. I would really want to get back to New Orleans. And uh, I don't think that we're done with each other. It's a very beautiful city. So I always mind of what Bob Dylan said when uh, he wrote in his Chronicles Volume 1. He said, there are a lot of places I like, but I like New Orleans better. There's a thousand different angles at any moment. At any time, you could run into a ritual honoring a vaguely known queen. The city is one long poem. Was that a book that led you to New Orleans? I would love to say that it was. I, I mean, most people say it's like Tennessee Williams because, you know, a streetcar named Desire. Mm. Um, but the truth is that I was a teenage Anne Rice fangirl. So <laughs> interview with the vampire. Yeah. So that was what uh, sort of led me there to begin with. But of course, the city is so much more than, you know, Anne Rice. Uh, but whenever I tried, to, uh, whenever I travel to another country, I always try to go to a bookstore there and uh, leave with a book about that country or that place. Uh, so in New Orleans, I went to Faulkner House Books in the French Quarter, uh, which is named for the author William Faulkner. And uh, I got this really fantastic book called Unfathomable City, which is edited by Rebecca Solnit and Snedeker. So Rebecca Solnit is the very well-known author of books like Wanderlust, The History of Walking, and A Field Guide to Getting Lost. So you might say that she is one of the preeminent flannesers of our day. Mm. And uh, Rebecca Snedeker was her New Orleans guide. And uh, this book is part of a series of atlases on American cities. It, this particular one maps New Orleans 22 different times. And each map focuses on something uh, different. So th- they map things like the roots of Mardi Gras par- carnival parades, coastal erosion, the link between bayonets, which are, you know, the donut snack, and uh, the dark history of uh slavery and sugar plantations, uh, and also the devastation of Hurricane Katrina. It's a post-Katrina book. One of my favorite essays in that book is Bodies by Nathaniel Rich, and it explores New Orleans as a city of the dead. So who don't they don't always stay buried either because the ground there is too low and the water table is too high. So uh, the, it's very hard to bury people properly and mm. in a flood. So they put all these, uh, the bodies in mausoleums, uh, which are sort of bake, they bake them in uh, like ovens in the, in the heat. And then when the flood happens, the, the coffins slide out of the mausoleums and they go floating down the avenues like canoes. The sun baked and water. Yes, yeah, it's pretty terrible. Uh, so uh, Nathaniel Rich writes, In most parts of New Orleans, if you plunge your arm into the ground to the depth of your elbow, your fingertips will touch water. Your fingertips might also touch other fingertips. Ooh. <laughs> so this isn't what we expect to be, like a lonely planet kind of travel guide, which is, you know, like go here, go there, eat this, buy that. It's not even a travel memoir kind of writing. It's an attempt to map a place that it acknowledges to be unfashionable. And that is the problem and also the wonderful thing of any attempt at travel writing, which is to pin a place to the page via the written word. And uh, Solnit and Snedeker acknowledge this problem. So they write, 
in a sense, every place is unfathomable, infinite, impossible to describe because it exists in innumerable versions, because no two people live in quite the same city, but live side by side in parallel universes that may or may not intersect. Because the minute you map it, the map becomes obsolete because the place is constantly arising and decaying. Instead, we hope we have indicated how rich and various, how inexhaustible this place is. And any place, if you look at it directly and through books, conversations, maps, photographs, dreams and desires. That's a great quote. It reminds me of the idea of the palimpsest as well. Mm. This idea of layers, uh, layers of a city, layers of memories. Mm. Uh, Sonnet is great. I remember this quote from a book, Wanderlust, The History of Walking, where she writes, and I quote, I like walking because it is slow. And I suspect that the mind, like the feet, works at about three miles an hour. If this is so, then modern life is moving faster than the speed of thought or thoughtfulness. End quote. Yeah, so I felt it made me think harder about the act of thinking while walking. I I seem to dimly recall someone once saying that Lord of the Rings unfolds at a pace that is not too fast. It's at a moderate tempo and it makes you, it forces you to slow down and it's a speed that kind of matches the speed of walking on foot. So it feels like you're almost journeying with the characters. The road goes ever on and on. Yes. Anyway, while I love books that, you know, reflect on the process of traveling or which transport me into a new world, I've never read a book that made me feel that I really wanted to visit a place. Wasn't it Elizabeth Bishop, you know, the modern American poet who once said, think of the long trip home. Should we have stayed at home and thought of here? I think much of the appeal of travel writing lies in how you can visit a place vicariously through the author, in a nutshell, armchair traveling. And it's in a way, it's an escapist fantasy. You don't necessarily want to realize yourself because traveling through the page is enough. Like, I think of the books of San Mao, for instance, uh, the Taiwanese author, uh, Stories of the Sahara. She paints these fascinating, almost surrealist scenes of life in the desert that I really enjoy. But at the same time, you're quite aware that life in the desert is pretty terrible. It's pretty tough. Um, but she has nevertheless become this epitome of wanderlust for so many young women across generations. And she mm-hmm. says things like, I'm quoting from the English recent English translation, um, I wanted a taste of many different lives, sophisticated or simple, highbrow or low. Only then would this journey be worthwhile. Although perhaps a life plain as porridge would never be an option for me. Yeah, so the thing that stands out about San Mao for me personally is the force of a personality And I think the idea of travel and the exotic landscapes she travels to are merely a backdrop to that. So she's such an interesting person, right? She's this pretty idealistic woman. She's stubborn. She's ahead of her time, very liberal. And there's also something almost childlike in the way she sees the world. Um, And I found it very touching, you know, reading about her love story with Jose, um, her partner, um, the love of her life, and and embracing this simple life in the desert together. And it feels all the more poignant when you know that Several years after Stories of the Sahara was published, Jose died in a diving accident and that San Mao would you know, commit suicide quite a few years later in the 90s when she was diagnosed with cancer. There is this preponderance of white male travel writing, which is directly related to the privileges that certain demographics have to move freely around the world. I think it was also Elizabeth Bishop who wrote, Continent, city, country, society. The choice is never wide and never free. So Wenli, have you got any travel book wrecks by writers who depart from the beaten path in terms of perspectives. Yeah, people thinking of booking a flight to Bangkok might want to leave through this book of short stories by the Thai-American author Ratawood Lapcharonsap. 
The book is titled Sightseeing, but it isn't the white male backpacker's perspective of Thailand, and it's not exactly a travel book. What it does is it brings you closer to the themes close to the heart of the city's inhabitants. Uh, for example, there's one story about a group of Thai youths who are waiting for a lottery that will decide if they get drafted into the military or not. Thailand is such a popular destination of Singaporeans, so I think a lot of us would want to know the country better and short of living in Thailand for a couple of years, sightseeing would be a pretty good place to start. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. And now back to our podcast episode. Blaise Pascal famously said that people have one problem, and that is not being able to sit quietly in their room. There's, I think, no such thing as traveling to escape your problems because you just pack and carry them around with you like a suitcase. Sometimes I feel that traveling is overrated and that, you know, traveling for pleasure is to inevitably set yourself up for disappointment. There is a Dictionary of Obscure Sorrows term. So the Dictionary of Obscure Sorrows is a blog of made-up words about different <laughs> sorrows that have, has become really popular because they're just very apt. Anyway, so the term is chirosclerosis, and it describes a conscious attempt to savor the feeling of happiness, which prompts your intellect to identify it, pick it apart, and put it in context, whereupon it dissolves, leaving but an aftertaste. So I feel that this, this is a problem that we often encounter when traveling. I mean, how often does one go and stare at an ancient ruin or a scenic waterfall and feel that pressure to enjoy it because you have come so far, you spent so much money and may never get to see it again. But yet, when we can't travel, we so badly want to. I know that when I travel, I feel obliged to savor as much of everything as I can. Every tiny detail gets magnified in a way it wouldn't have if I was living there. Uh, and I feel it's, it's just almost half-desperate attempt to get the most of everything because I know I might never see all these things again. And I think some travel writers, as they travel, they see the place they travel through um, through a kind of distorted lens, as do all these scenes and details. These exotic details are reflected through a funhouse mirror. And I think that's not necessarily a bad thing, um, especially if you're reading these writers for their personality. Um, for example, Paul Theroux has some pretty choice remarks about Singapore in his travel book, Ghost Train to the Eastern Star. Um, but I... I think that's still fine because you don't read it to learn about Singapore. You read it to watch the room trying to learn about Singapore, you know, as a strange mind um, starts to process all these details that he encounters on his travels. Do you have a favorite book on traveling? Yeah, one of my favorite books about travel, if you can call it travel, is Robert McFarlane's The Old Ways. It's a journey on foot through chalk landscapes, water routes and other trails in England, Scotland and other parts of the world. So I feel that books like these encourage us to think about our environment in a more mindful way. And this could be something as simple as observing your thoughts as you put one foot in front of the other. And it's very illuminating, especially if you're traveling through nature and journeying on foot through these wild landscapes. So there's one bit in the book where McFarlane talks about a pilgrim's route. And he talks about how footfalls are falling um, on two levels, right? On the landscape and also on one's spiritual journey. So it's the kind of book that I think makes you feel a bit wiser and encourages you to think thoughtfully about these journeys. I know, I know this style puts some people off, but it's, it's something that, that, um, that really is up my alley. And I think one thing I appreciate about McFarlane is that he's such a careful writer. And I, I love how he sprinkles his writings with all these literary references because he's got the literature background. And he also happens to be the author of Underland, which I can't recommend strongly enough. I've been recommending this book to, <laughs> to people for the past 
two years, at least since it came out. And in that book, he traces subterranean landscapes in various parts of the world, from catacombs to caves, and it's really illuminating stuff. So one of my favorite books about traveling, if you can call it that, is uh, Italo Calvino's Invisible Cities, in which the traveler, Marco Polo, describes to the Emperor Kublai Khan 55 cities. I don't know if we can count this as a travelogue because all the cities are fictional. Though at the same time, are they fictional? I mean, at the same, you know, Marco Polo, he says at one point that all the cities he talks about, he's only talking about Venice, which is the city that he is from. So he talks about faraway places to talk about his own home. Anyway, so here's the first cities. Leaving there and proceeding for three days towards the east, you reach Diomira, the city with 60 silver domes, bronze statues of all the gods, streets paved with lead, a golden cock that crows each morning on a tower. All these beauties will already be familiar to a visitor who has seen them also in other cities. But the special quality of this city for the man who arrives there on a September evening, when the days are growing shorter and the multicolored lamps are lighted all at once at the doors of the food stalls, and from a terrace a woman's voice cries, Ooh, is that he feels envy toward those who now believe they have once before lived an evening identical to this, and who think they were happy that time. So I think good books about travel don't just tell you about where to travel. They also tell you how to travel. So it's this kind of mindset with which you should move through the world and how where you are going relates to where you came from. Yeah, my sentiments exactly. And I think a lot of books about travel don't age well, especially if they are, you know, just observations of someone's journey to places A, B and C, you know, without giving the readers any real insights into the act of traveling, um, the act of journeying. I agree that, you know, the more compelling journeys are the mental ones, um, not just the physical ones. I'm minded of what Terry Pratchett, the late Sir Terry Pratchett, wrote in his novel, A Hat Full of Sky. He said, uh, why do you go away? He says, so that you can come back, so that you can see the place you came from with new eyes and extra colours. Coming back to where you started is not the same as never leaving. Or as T.S. Eliot famously said in his Four Quartets, we shall not cease from exploration. And the end of all our exploring will be to arrive where we started and know the place for the first time. And that's all we have for you this episode. Once again, thank you for listening to us. I'm To Wen Lee. And I'm Olivia Ho. You have been listening to our Bookmark This podcast. We'll catch you next time. That was a podcast by The Straits Times. Send your feedback to podcast at sph.com.sg. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. For more podcasts by The Straits Times, The Business Times, and Money FM 89.3, you can also download the audio by SPH app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O.